Hello, Mountain. It's good to see everybody this weekend. Glad you're here. Let's give a big old shout of hello to our friends at the Bel Air campus. Everybody ready? Hello, Bel Air. And they're shouting back at us. Let's say hello to the Edgewood campus. Hello, Edgewood. And they are loudly yelling back at us right now. It's good to remember that we're one church in three locations. If you're a guest, we're really glad you're here. Welcome. We're in the middle of a series of messages uh, from God's Word that we're working through called Torn. And we've looked at some of the different ways that we're torn and and how God meets us in that tornness, if you will. We we talked about our torn lives. We've talked about torn families. We talked about torn sexuality last week. And next week we'll talk about uh, how uh, being torn from God has its own special pain and, and what we can do about that. Today we're, we're talking about torn hearts. Torn hearts. Uh, which, you know, is actually very, very appropriate. <clears throat> um, seeing as it's opening weekend for the National Football League and the Ravens fans are, are getting excited about things, we thought torn hearts would be an appropriate message for Ravens fans and Minnesota Viking fans. In all seriousness, uh, one, of the, one of the cool things about uh, the subject of torn hearts is that one of the things that we'll see and a lot of us know from our own personal experience already is that a, a, a heart that is torn is very often something that God can take. It seems bitter, it seems bad, but God can take it and make something beautiful from it. Um, that's actually what's happening with some of our friends across town uh, known as Cresswell Christian Church. If you get my e-notes, you already are aware that Cresswell Christian Church has been serving the Lord, partners with us in the same kind of work across town in Bel Air uh, since 1959. Um, they have made the decision uh, to close their doors as Cresswell Christian Church due to circumstances beyond their control, but to, to seize the moment and to merge with Mountain so that together we can do some things that we could never have done alone, uh, alone either one of us. And it fits really with what we're talking about because uh, as we talk about torn hearts, well, there's some folks who are part of the, the Cresswell Church that would just admit to you there's a torn heart in this because they've loved that church, they've given their heart, soul, mind, and money to that place, and yet um, its life cycle has come to a close. But I'm so impressed and admire their courage and their vision for leveraging their resources and approaching us to say, can we work together and have a bright future, not under the name Cresswell, but now under just the name Mountain. And... Uh, so last week was their final service as Cresswell, and today is the day we're welcoming them to Mountain. And I want to just give you an opportunity to kind of hear a little bit of their story before we get rolling in the message. So there's a video, and I'll ask you to watch the screen. In the early 1950s, Cresswell Christian Church's roots were planted. The pastor of Fort Christian Church, Bob Green, traveled weekly to the Cresswell area to meet with three families for midweek Bible study, and in the summer, for a neighborhood vacation Bible school, which was held in my family's yard. In 1958, those same families, led by Rollin Stever, started meeting for worship at Eastern Christian College, where Rollin served as the president. The congregation grew, hired Rollin as their full-time minister, and moved to Abington Fire Hall for services for two years. In 1962, the congregation obtained land from Eastern Christian College and built a church building, which was dedicated in March 1963. My name's Avery Ward. I've been a chartered member of Crestwell since becoming a Christian in 1959. 
Over the years, I've been privileged to serve in various capacities. I've been an elder since the late 70s, and I am currently chairman of the elders. Crestwell Christians have a heart for the community, and it's reflected in our mission, transforming lives by bringing Jesus to our community. We accomplished this in the variety of outreach opportunities we developed, including a community vegetable garden, a community yard sale where everything was free, a community Easter picnic, serving in a local elementary school, among some other things. My name is Eric Stanglin, and my wife, Suzanne, and I moved to Bel Air from Cincinnati in January of 2011, where I began serving as the minister of Cresswell Christian Church. Cresswell Christians also have a heart for allowing Jesus to transform our lives. We gathered in worship services, prayer meetings, small groups, Sunday school classes, and ministry team devotions to hear from God's Word and encourage each other to apply His Word to our lives. And because of this, we've experienced forgiveness, encouragement, and healing. And we've grown more obedient to Jesus and more trusting of His grace. What I'm most proud of about Crestwell has been the lifelong impact it has made in people's lives for Jesus. Young people who grew up in Crestwell developed a Christian faith, which guided them for the rest of their lives. Some of those young people became involved in full-time ministry, and others are living dedicated Christian lives in many parts of the world. The roots in the Christian faith they developed at Cresswell have sustained them and guided them wherever they're living today. To me, Cresswell means family. We are a family of faith who did our best to follow the one another passages of Scripture love one another, serve one another, accept one another, bear one another's burdens, encourage one another, and pray for one another. We accomplish this through hugs and handshakes and laughter and tears and conversations, meals, prayer, and scripture. And our hope was ultimately to love each other the way Jesus first loved us. God is doing something new and great at Cresswell. Cresswell's mission to transform lives by bringing Jesus to people is merging with mountains to make disciples more and better disciples. We're looking forward with great anticipation for the opportunity to serve with the people of Mountain. We have been blessed by your warm welcome, your kind support as we go through this transition. We believe this merger is God's will and we're excited to be a part of it. I am very excited to see the Cresswell family of faith become a part of the Mountain family of faith. I'm excited to see Cresswell's legacy of family and faith continue through the ministry of Mountain Christian Church. I know that our two church families will be better together as one family than we were otherwise. I firmly believe that God led us together because he has something great in store for our community that would not have been possible otherwise. And I tell you, I look forward to that day in heaven where I get to meet people who came to faith in Jesus as a result of this merger as a result of Cresswell and Mountain coming together. Okay, so you see I've got some friends I want to introduce to you today. Um, here's Eric Stanglin. You saw him on the video. He's been the minister of Cresswell uh, and every ward, the chairman of their elder team, and our own uh, Greg Tatino from our elder team here. We've had a chance to work together over the last few weeks and just We've come to appreciate and admire the heart of these guys and love them and feel a oneness of spirit, and we just want to say welcome to you today. Uh, Eric, greetings. Uh, thank you, Ben, and thank you, Mountain Christian Church. Uh, we are excited to become a part of the Mountain Christian family of faith here, and 
we believe God led us together because we believe that together we can do more by the power of God for our community than we could any other way. And uh, we look forward to a bright future together as we serve Jesus, as we love our community, to uh, continue to accomplish the mission God has set before us, you know, making disciples more and better disciples. So thank you, God bless, and we look forward to rolling up our sleeves and, and working with you together. Thanks. So, yeah. So our, our word to you all today on behalf of the whole Crestwell Church from the Mountain Church, number one, just bless you for what you've been doing for 55 years. You for most of it, Avery. <laughs> uh, but, but just thank you for your work. And now um, bless you as you continue that same work under a different name. And ultimately, at the end of the day, it's not about the name Crestwell, it's not about the name Mountain, it's about the name of Jesus and His church. He has one church, and so now we just link together and uh, partner together, and we want you to know on this day, uh, at several of our services, different campuses in the coming weeks, especially starting today, Crestwell people will be here, and you're going to go out of your way to welcome them. And, uh, but what we want to just say to you right now is, welcome. We Thank love you. you. God bless you. you. On your feet, everybody. Big welcome to the Crestwell Christian Church as they become part of Mountain today. Welcome. We're glad you're here. Yep. Thanks, Avery. God bless. Okay, well... uh, that's a really excellent introduction to our topic for today of torn hearts. Uh, torn hearts uh, are, are something not only that some of the folk at Crestwell have had to experience have they've come to this decision, well, I guess it's time to let go and give to God this thing that we love and see what He can do with it. Uh, it's something that maybe you have to deal with as well. Um, what do we mean by torn hearts? We're talking about the disappointments of life here. We're talking about those things that sometimes can only be experienced on the inside. You, you know, not everyone knows what your torn heart is about. But the person next to you deals with a torn heart just like you do. They're the disappointments of life, the, the pain, the problems. Sometimes it's a loss, loss of a job, loss of a loved one, loss of your health, loss of a relationship that meant something to you. Sometimes it's because of mistakes we make and choices we've made that get us into situations that end up kind of tearing your heart out, you know? You gambled the money away. You were stubborn and stupid and now that relationship has been damaged and there's nothing you can do about it. You flunked out of school because you wasted time. Your heart is broken and sometimes it's made worse because it was kind of, you know, your fault, my fault, nothing we can do. Sometimes it's just what happens to us. The, The driver was texting. The driver was drunk. They downsized, and I was next. A lot of you know our friend Barry Bobo from Mountain here. Got sick a while back, was doing better, felt really bad this last week, went into the hospital, they said, your organs are shutting down, and he died the next day. And Barry's with the Lord now, but his family has a bit of a torn heart as they deal, even in their faith with this. Sometimes your dreams on the way to the future just get ripped right out of the, 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 the sort of story of your life. And that tearing is the tearing of a torn heart. 
or, or maybe there are things in your journal that are written there forever, indelibly in ink on the journal of your life, and you wish you could tear them out, but you can't. And it leads in an ongoing way to a torn heart. Remember the old one? Humpty Dumpty sat on a wall. Humpty Dumpty what? Had a great fall. And then at, uh, all the king's horses and all the king's men, what? Yeah, mumble, mumble, mumble. Couldn't put Humpty together again. And sometimes we feel like that. It might be a habitual sin that just sort of nags at us. It, it, it might be uh, some thorn in the flesh. It might be your anger that boils up and out of you. It might be some sort of insecurity or bitterness. It's someone in your life that, that won't stop making stupid decisions. It's a kid who's breaking your heart, a husband who comes home with post-traumatic stress disorder when your heart is rocked by regrets. Where, where is your heart torn? It's important that we kind of come to terms with this. So this whole thing isn't some academic talk about someone else, but that you deal with the fact that, yes, you're a human and part of your heart has been or is being or will be torn. Sin, sickness, sorrow, stress, shame, struggle sadness, it's real, it's here, we have torn hearts. So where do we go from here? Well, we want to go to God's Word and we want to kind of um, give some tools today that will help us reframe the way we think about some of the difficulty we have in life, some of the problems we face and the pain that's real, and it will completely change how we come to deal with and get through some of the torn hearts of life. When, when something bad happens to a person, let me ask you a question. When something bad happens, particularly if it's unfair or I feel like, man, I really got, you know, this is not right, we usually and immediately ask a question. It's a one-word question, short little word, starts with W. What's the question that we ask when something happens? Why? 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 And it's a good question and it's a bad question. Sometimes what's behind the why is a why me, sometimes it's a why did you do that, and often the why is projected at God. It kind of sometimes questions God's goodness, at least His goodness toward me. I mean, if He, if he really was good, why didn't He open the airway in, my, in that person as they were doing CPR? If, if God really is good, why did the, did the lightning have to strike on, on that business as it did for, for friends of ours this last week and they lost their business? Or maybe the why question is, is leading us to question God's power. Maybe he, maybe he is good at heart, but he just can't do anything about what's going on down here. Or maybe he doesn't care. But we ask why. And here, <clears throat> when our hearts are torn and we instinctively ask this question of why, what we need to see today is that God gives us a much more important and better and valuable question to ask because the question needs to shift from why to who and that shift makes all the difference in the world when we learn to to move from our demanding explanations and answers which even if we received would not remove our hurt if we can learn to move from that to begin to ask who it will begin to point us to God which is where our ultimate help comes from. The Bible, here's what the Bible tells us. It says it's more than okay to ask why and to ask God why and to be angry and to shout and to even shake a fist at God himself. That's fine, but eventually when your heart is torn, what the Bible teaches us is that God says get out of the shallowness of the why pool and get into the deep waters of the who question because when we're, when we're hurting, God says, 
I know you want to ask why. What, what you need to be asking about is me. The Bible points us to God in the midst of the worst that life brings, in the midst of our questions. Maybe you're asking why at some level right now, and maybe you're realizing for the first time as I'm saying this that really what that does is it points you to something you'll never get an answer to. Even if you do get an answer, it doesn't necessarily bring that sense of resolution and healing and justice like you thought it would. But who can do that? Because who points us to a God who is all-powerful, all-loving, all-knowing, all-sovereign, who can use even our worst suffering for good when we give Him the pieces? Why points you to yesterday? Who points you to God? Who gets at this deal of who are you going to trust when things get hard? Who, who are you going to run to when you're in pain, when your heart is torn? Who is ultimately worthy of your trust? Because that's who your God is. The who question invites you and me toward God in deeper ways in the midst of our pain and struggle, suffering, difficulty. That's what happened with the Beckman family. A lot of you know the Beckman family. Glenn and Linda, longtime members of Mountain, and about one year ago, they, they were so eager to share their story. And so I've, I've, I've asked them to write, and they wrote some things I wanted to share with you right now about this matter. Uh, it, was, it was August of 2013. Uh, she says, a, a call came to our family that forever changed us. Our 19-year-old son had been shot after breaking into a snowball stand. A lot of you remember that in the news. We wouldn't find out until hours later that he was gone. Why? We asked. These were questions that kept entering every conversation. Our boy, Seth Beckman, was kind and good. He wasn't the kind of kid in trouble. Six months before his death, he had become depressed. Again, why? He had turned to drugs for escape. Why? We were trying to get him help. We were being there as a Christian family. But we didn't have time and no one expected this. Why? She tells how the community and the church and others surrounded them and God began to, to bless and fill some of their hurt even in the midst of that. And she says, even in our darkest moments of grief, Jesus was giving us gifts. You see how she's, she begins to change the question from why to who? One of the things I was struggling with is that my Seth was alone when he died. It hurt me to my soul. And then a sermon at Mountain, we heard how we are never alone and God is always with us. That peace was overwhelming to me. It was another blessing from God. Who? We've been able to know that God's Word is God's Word, that, his tragedy, that this tragedy we've experienced is a time for us to hold on to Him, to the truth, and to know that we're never alone and He will never forsake us. We must continually walk in faith and trust, and we hope you can too. Glenn goes on to say that there were times in his life leading up to this when he felt kind of hungry for God's Word, when he would soak like a sponge and marinate in, in truth from God's Word and, and let it come into his life. And he says, during these times, I equate that to developing a muscle memory that helps compensate for the times when our hearts are troubled and our brains might not be functioning very well. He says, I compare it to an archer. And he's a, he's a big hunter, a bow hunter, so this makes sense. I compare it to an archer who takes thousands of shots over and over again in practice, breathing the same way, placing the knuckle against 
you know, a special place of the jawbone, touching the string on the same part of the face in exactly the same way over and over again. So that then, when faced with a stressful shot in a tense moment, with the brain malfunctioning, that grounding of rock-solid muscle memory takes over, and the shot can be made, and won't, you won't fall completely apart. When I lost Seth, that's exactly what occurred in my life. As I struggled emotionally, I knew there was a time for God to show through somehow that muscle memory was going to have to take over and carry me because my brain was spittering and sputtering. How would I preserve my witness? How would I speak to the police? How would I represent my relationship with you, to you, to my family, to myself? And all of this grew out of a faith that was deeply grounded like muscle memory in me and it carried me. And I trust in a good God and faithful Lord who in the end saw me through. Praise God for that. He says, though there's a permanent sadness by my loss, I'm so glad I didn't miss those opportunities to grab the rock-solid muscle memory from the Lord. Life is not easy. There's stops that are painful, but Jesus is there, and I'm grateful. Not only for this the stop that Seth made to drop off his sins at the cross, but for grounding in my muscle memory of faith in you. Friends, today I, I want to give you the opportunity to, 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 to tra- practice a couple things over and over so you'll get in your muscle memory a habit, an instinct of calling on God so that if your heart is torn now, if it will be one day, you'll know how to instinctively get through. And it begins with this shift from why to who. I want to show you the difference that makes by just throwing out a couple words to you, okay? I want to throw out some words. These words will, will, will maybe just kind of stand for these ideas that you can draw on that will help you so much, okay? Fair enough? Let me start with the first word. The first word is perspective. Everybody say perspective. Perspective is about where you look right? It's about where your eyes go in the midst of a situation. Perspective is about how things look relative to each other. And the truth is that when you're going through something, it seems as if it's the biggest thing in the world. But if we can get some perspective, sometimes it gets shrunk down to size. We begin by shouting why. When we begin to ask who, it draws our attention to God. And what we see, friend, is that no matter what you're going through, God is bigger. God is bigger than the boogeyman, as the old song says. And he's bigger than whatever's tearing your heart up and mine. And God is God and you are not. So some of the why questions get surrendered back to God. Job was a man in the Bible who had like the absolute worst stuff happen to him. He lost everything, his finances, his family, his business, his friends, his employees, his sons and daughters, all in one fell awful swoop. And Job had a lot of questions for God. He shouted up at God. Why this God? What about this God? Where were you, God, when that happened? Where were you when lightning struck and did that? Where were you when this? Where? And, and he lets God have it. And then finally, after listening to a lot of this, God, God in chapter 38, I, the way I picture the scene in my Bible, in my head, I, I, see, I see it's like God kind of finally gets up out of his chair, strokes his beard, <clears throat> clears his throat, you know, clears his throat, and, and, and Job kind of just sits down, puts his hand over his mouth and goes, oh, this isn't good. I might have spoke a little too much. And then God begins to ask Job some questions. Job, I'm trying to remember, uh, remind me here, fill me in. Where exactly were you when I created the universe? I don't remember seeing you there. 
Joe, where were you when I, when I threw the stars into space and designed the bald eagle and taught him how to fly? I don't remember you being there informing me about all those details. Were, were you there, Job? Because I don't, I don't remember seeing you, Job. And God has 77 questions He asked for Job, none of which can be answered. As a way of helping Job see what we need to see when we're hurting, you've got to remember who you're talking to, not as a way of saying you can't talk to God in those ways, but if we would spend a little more time looking at the sky that He holds together, maybe we'd trust a little more that He can hold my life together. It's perspective. He's God. You're not. Give the Lord His due. And even if he told you why, you probably wouldn't understand it. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our ways. Check this out. Colossians 3. This same God then talks about Jesus Christ. Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. Listen to this description. Christ. Get some perspective. He's the visible image of the invisible God. He, and, and Christ existed before anything and was created, anything was created, and is supreme over all creation. For through Him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. Everything was created through Him and for Him. He existed before anything else and He holds all creation together. It's breathtaking and it points our perspective upward away from our pain to the person of Jesus, the ultimate creator and holder together of the universe. And friends, at the end of the day, that's really what we want to know. When it feels as if everything's tearing apart, we want to know, is everything going to come apart? Is there anyone that's holding this together? Is anyone holding my life together? Is anyone holding the world together, this planet together? Because we sure as heck know we can't. And that's what's behind it. When, when, when the stock market crashes, when you see people get all upset and afraid and go fight each other because of Ferguson or Iraq or whatever... A lot of times what's behind that is a fear that maybe everything's just blowing apart. Maybe the whole world's just falling apart. When your kid goes AWOL, when you get that bad phone call with terrible news, what we want to know and what you need to know and I need to know is some perspective that says this, friends, you are never alone and you can live in peace knowing that whatever happens won't happen outside of God's watchful eye. He never sleeps. He never slumbers. He's not like some you know, lame security, you know, uh, security guard at some museum somewhere with his feet up on the desk sleeping while the monitor behind reveals there's chaos happening in the world. That is not God. It's not some spaceship we're on without a pilot heading to a brick wall. No. Because God is on His throne. He is sovereign. He is in control. He is large and He is in charge. He's not wringing His hands. He's in control. And sometimes, if you have that perspective, it'll just change everything about how you feel. Remember when it looks like things are falling apart? The Word of God assures us that Jesus is holding everything together. The first thing that when we get out of the why and start asking who, it draws us to God and it brings us to that first word, which is what? perspective perspective say that word with me perspective let me give you another let me give you another one when we begin to to get our eyes sort of on god what it does is it, it shifts us to this important truth it, our focus moves away from our pain and and we can begin to think more about the proximity and the presence of jesus proximity i mean his closeness and the presence the fact that he's really with us and that's a shift we need to make because isn't it true that, that a lot of times when people start getting, feeling pain, what they do is they isolate themselves. We run from people. We run from a lot of the sources that will help us the most. 
But when we look to God, He can actually draw us near during our times of pain. The Bible says, draw near to God and He will draw near to you. And yet, very often we retreat, we rage, we run. And we've got to get to this fundamental shift away from thinking, you know, bad things just happened in my life. I'm in a bad place. That must mean God is far away from me. Because if God were close to me, then everything would be rosy. That's just completely wrong. What we've got to do is learn to shift and realize, to think from in our pain, that's exactly when Christ is nearest. To realize that when bad things happen, you have an opportunity to be most close to God. God is close to the brokenhearted. He knows, He cares. A torn heart, friends, is prime opportunity to be nearer to God than you'll ever be in your time of blessing and highness. 2 Corinthians 1 says, the more we suffer for Christ, the more God will shower us with His comfort through Christ. The more we suffer, the, the, the more we experience of Christ's suffering. John Orberg did a study of hundreds of Christians and asked them, what was the most formative thing for you spiritually? When was the time you were most close to God and what really helped you grow? Do you know what the number one, overwhelmingly number one answer was? Times of difficulty, suffering, and pain. That's what brought me closer to God. Does that surprise anybody here? Probably not, because if we think about it, it's probably true in all of our experiences. This church is filled with people who many of, many of us had some pain that it maybe for, for some of you it drove you away from God. You were going to teach God a lesson. So you just, left, you just quit going to church because you're so mad about what happened to mama. You're so mad about what happened here and there. And you just said, if that's how God is, then I don't want, I'm going to show him a lesson. And you went away. But some more pain brought you back. And now you're realizing that when you are in pain, that's the time you can be closest to God. There's a friend that went through chemo and it was awful and it almost killed him. But he's on the other side of that now. As he reflects back, he says, you know what? I grew so much. During that time, I grew so close to God, I matured, I got less selfish, I, my priorities and perspective of life totally changed, I knew what was important, I'm a better dad, you, you, know, you know, just so many things happened, it was a trial of fire that burned off a lot of who I used to be. There is what he said, I would never ask for that to happen to me or anyone else again, but I'll tell you what, I would never want to go back to the man I was before. Because I'm closer to God and He used it for good in my life. Friends, it was in the fiery furnace that those three dudes in the Old Testament, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, got to finally get up close and see one that was like a son of God. It, 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 was, it was when Stephen faced being stoned to death, the New Testament says, that, that he got to experience a, a, a vision of Jesus standing right there next to the, to the heart of God. It was only when the Apostle John was torn from his family and thrown out and banished into in an exiled island of Patmos that he gets to see a vision of all of his victory and, and strength and so forth. You might be torn and in some wilderness and, and feeling like you're just really suffering right now. Are you looking for God in it? Look for God wherever your heart is torn. Know that He's near. Psalm 34, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. 1 Peter 5, Throw all of your worries and cares on God, for He cares about you. Friend, don't, don't run away from God. Run toward Him. Elizabeth Elliot tells about a long time ago there was a little... Um, little tiny toddler she was very very sick her parents were trying to take care of her at home and they knew that 
you know, they, they couldn't do a lot, but they just did the best they could. And one of the things they tried to equip her with was some deep faith in, in God. They taught her to recite the 23rd Psalm, the first line of the 23rd Psalm, and they, they taught her to do it with her fingers and to give each word a sort of, you know, emphasis as she touched each finger. So she'd say, the Lord is my shepherd. And then on shepherd, she'd grab a hold of that thumb and clasp it as a reminder to her to be encouraged that she was a precious little lamb that the good shepherd Jesus would never let go of and be right there with her to protect her. And when she felt afraid or in a lot of pain, as she often had, she would just recite, the Lord is my shepherd. Sad part of this story is that after a very difficult night fighting her disease, she died in the night and her parents found her in the morning, passed away. And when they went to pick up her little body and cradle it, as they removed her blanket, they found that one hand was firmly clasped around that thumb of hers. That's how she died. With the reality that Jesus was near and with her proximity and presence. Maybe your heart's torn. It will be if it isn't now. My suggestion to you is grab your thumb. Because <laughs> the Lord is your shepherd. When you focus on Him, it changes everything. Let me give you, let me give you another one. When we begin to look at who rather than why, it, we can shift not only from our perspective, but we can shift from pain to proximity, but also from problems to praise. This is going to sound weird to a lot of you. It's going to sound very confusing, almost like counterintuitive to, to some of us. But it, basically, we've got to learn to worship God in the midst of our struggles. There's too many of us that feel like, you know what, I have this idea that if God really does his job right, his job is to serve me and make my life perfect, and then if he is, then I'll say thank you once in a while. But friends, that's not what Jesus said. That's not the way the world has ever been. It's not how your experience has been. It's not how anyone's life is. Why do we believe that? People of faith are people who realize that, as Jesus said, in this, li in this world you will have trouble, but I've overcome the world. And that kind of Jesus is worth worshiping. And so we worship even in our struggles. We worship in our pain. You turn to Him. Instead of saying, I got this, I don't need God, I'll just kind of make church a sort of ritual I do, but really I'm just picking myself up by my bootstraps, you say, God, you take this one. Here's the torn pieces of my heart. I'm crying out here. I need you. Help me. I love you and I still praise you even though I don't have answers for why right now in my life. Turns out that's called worship. It happens, yes, here when we gather, we pour out our hearts, but it happens when you're in your car, it happens when you get out of bed in the morning. We, what we trust is what we worship. Wherever you go for escape, for restoration, for, for kind of just getting relief, that's your God and that's what you're worshiping. And God says, turn to me. In the midst of turning to family and counselors and all these things, make sure the number one thing you're turning to is me. When your life is torn, God says, turn to me. When Job hit rock bottom, he had lost everything. I mean, this guy was, was Donald Trump without the comb over. He had all the money. He had all the family. He had all this stuff, and he lost it all. Staggering loss. Look what happens, the Bible says, in Job chapter 1, verse 20. The first thing Job did when he hit ground zero, Job fell on the ground to worship. Yes, he grieved, he shaved his head, the Bible says, because that was a way of saying, I've lost my glory, and, and, I, and in that culture, it was a way of saying, I'm completely devastated. And then, he drops. When you can't stand it, 
kneel before the Lord. His muscle memory kicked in. And he said to himself, where else can I go? That's what you need to do. When you can't stand it, get on your knees. When your heart is torn, worship the Lord. If you've had a terrible week, it's going awful. Your, your life is a country music song, you know. You, your girlfriend broke up and you, know, you lost your job and your truck broke down and your dog died or whatever. Does God still deserve to be worshipped? Yes, He does. And as you do the one thing that every human was made to do, worship God, you will find yourself filled and healing begin. When you want to yell at someone, instead go yell at the Lord and then let that turn to praise. You can risk trusting a God like that even when it doesn't make sense. The next verse in Job says this, I came naked from my mother's womb and I'll be naked again one day when I leave this world. I'm not even myself. I, I, I'm just a... The Lord... It's the Lord. He gave me everything I had. It's the Lord's to take away, and apparently He has. Praise the name of the Lord. Will you say those last few words with me? Praise the name of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Think about your torn heart for a minute, whatever's messing with you right now. Think about it. Get it right in your mind. And now can we say those words also from our heart and let them wash right past the torn part. You ready? Praise the name of the Lord. May you be able to do the same. Let me give you one last word. One last word. It's the word promise. Because Jesus promises He's a heart mender and a heart healer. It's a promise that torn hearts are temporary. God is at work making all things new through Jesus Christ. And friend, whatever torn heart there is, He can mend it. Now, here the promise is that He will heal it now or in the next life. And we don't always know which. But it's beautiful because He does mend marriages. He does heal hearts. He does heal cancer-ridden bodies. He does, he does, you will get over disappointments. You will see failure forgotten. You will see devastation overcome and healing arrive. It does come even in this life. It's a beautiful reminder, but all it is is a reminder of the life that we come for. This life is short. The next one is eternal. And that's the one that all of this is getting us ready for. And the promise is that there is no healing outside of God's healing hand and wholeness is coming. He's making all things new. He's putting everything to rights, which is why Job can say in Job chapter 19 as for me I know that my Redeemer lives and he will stand on the earth at last this is hundreds of years before Jesus showed up and he was already talking about him and after my body has decayed yet in my body I'm gonna see God I'm gonna be resurrected and see God I will see him for myself I will see him with my own eyes and I am overwhelmed at the thought it ought to overwhelm us too even if I'm dying I know that my Redeemer lives God's a defeater of death even if my body gets eaten by maggots and I'm pushing up daisies you know what I'm going to get a new one and my Redeemer lives. Friends, that's the promise for you that this is only temporary. And you can begin experiencing the resurrection power now. Yes, there's a tomb before there was resurrection. Yes, there was a cross before there was a crown. Yes, there was the darkness of defeat and discouragement that Jesus experienced before there was eternal victory. But now all of that victory and crown 
and light is ours as well if you're in Christ. You give your life to Jesus Christ. In other words, you hand the pieces of your life to him. And just as God raised up Jesus Christ from the dead because of the power and love of God, he's at work in your life, healing torn hearts now and forever. I want to close by just reading some scriptures to you. Some scriptures that come right out of Romans chapter 8. Here, here's how they, here's how it goes. Romans chapter 8 verse 28. And we know that God is at work. Where is God at work? What does it say? It says God is at work what? In all things. What things? All things. Your things. My things. All of our torn hearts. And He's at work for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. So trust God. Trust Christ because then He's at work in all of your things. Well, verse 31, what, what should we say about this wonderful truth? Here's what you should say. You say, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's what you say. Verse 35, can anything then ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean He no longer loves us if we have some trouble or hardship or persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or even threatened by death? If we have a torn heart, does that mean God doesn't love us? No, because despite all these things, verse 37, we are already overwhelmingly victorious through Jesus who loved us. For I am convinced, and maybe, friend, you are finally convinced, that nothing can ever separate us from Christ's love. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor fears for today or worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power. Power in the sky above or in the earth below, not anything in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus our Lord. That's God's word. Believe it. Let's pray. God, we thank you and bless you for loving us so faithfully in Jesus Christ. Forgive us for somehow presuming that something difficult in our life or a torn heart means that you're not doing your job right. Instead, Lord, draw us to You as You desire our torn hearts to be like a leash around our hearts that You use to draw to Yourself. May each person in this hearing uh, come to You now in some humble surrender. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.